Hey all, welcome to Film Suck, a Patreon podcast in which we ponder the work of art in the age of crap cinema. I'm Eileen Jones. I'm Dolores McElroy. And today we are talking about director Todd Haynes, whom you may know from such films as Poison, Safe, Far From Heaven, Carol, Dark Waters, as well as most recently the documentary The Velvet Underground. It's currently playing on um, in theaters and on Apple TV+. Um, and, you know, we're going to start off trying to sort of sum him up a little bit, um, which is hard, which is surpri- I found surprisingly hard at any rate. I'm, we're going to quote, I'm just going to start with quoting David Edelstein, who did an, a recent overview of Payne's work in um, New York Magazine. Not that we love Edelstein or anything, <laughs> just to get anyone to, to make a sentence about Payne's work overall. Quote, much of his work critiques behavior that is rigidly coded by society and that drives individuals, particularly individuals with more fluid sexuality, in the direction of conformity and its attendant despair. So at least that's one of the broad um, kind of streams of, uh, of uh, Haynes' work. Yeah. Um, yeah, and he's, I guess just, just before we plunge into the most recent one, Velvet Underground, the, the only documentary he's done so far, um, let's just... Should we try to even sum up Haynes a little bit? Yeah. Or at least our relationship to Haynes? I mean, okay, like, personally, I think he's my favorite living filmmaker. Oh, my. But I, I, I love the guy. But mm-hmm. I, I think, like, what Edelstein leaves out <laughs> is mm-hmm. that when I think of his films, uh, they, I just think of, like, visual splendor. Like, mm-hmm. they're just, each of them has, like, such a vivid look. They are absolutely meticulous each of them rewards like repeat viewings and mm. they're generous like they've, they've got a lot of heart mm-hmm. like he's known for postmodernism uh because he came up in the early 90s and you know one of the progenitors of new queer cinema mm-hmm. um but and there is a lot that's quotational about him for one thing he's always looking often looking back and doing mm-hmm. things about previous time periods and biopics um but he is Oh, like he loves his subjects. You know, his films are juicy. Mm. They're not like intellectual thought experiments only, Mm. you know, and like arguably that's the least kind of that's not the most important thing about them. You know, like Mm -hmm. I I feel like he loves his subjects and everything that he tackles. He makes really vibrant and romantic, you know, and and beautiful in a way. So that's my take. What do you think? Oh, I agree. (laughs) It's it's it makes a lot of sense that he's gravitated toward melodrama a lot and not in the Edelstein way. Edelstein is really still hanging on to this idea of him as a you know one of the one of the phrases he uses is is there essentially more to him than being a chill reductive deconstructionist and you're just ah. like who I mean because <laughs> uh, the same feeling of there's just really big big affection big swooning emotion big big love going on with Haynes and and we were talking before we started recording about how Haynes himself is so disconcerting because he just looks and seems like the nicest, most well-adjusted person in the Such world. I have no way. I have no way of knowing <laughs> if that's really true. But if it's an act, it's a hell of a consistent and good one over however many decades it's been. Oh, for sure. Um, yeah. So that seems so astonishing, <laughs> especially for someone, as you say, who who has such an experimental film bent. He's so he's such a stylist. He initially. Mm-hmm. You know, his thought was he was going to teach, and then on the side, he would make avant-garde films, experimental films. That's what he thought he would be doing. I didn't and, know he was going to yeah. teach. That makes so much sense. Doesn't he looks like 
He looks like a teacher. He'll wear these like little collared shirts with a with a nice sweater <laughs> over <laughs> over. True. He looks like you know he looks like some some I don't know old TV show dad. <laughs> he right. Just seems, uh, so yeah, so it's it's there. There's it's a little bit maybe that's what's distracting me. It's a little hard for me to to put him together with his film sometimes. But his films are very very ambitious. So even if you don't love them. Mm-hmm. You know, and I just definitely don't love every one of them. So some of them I think are masterpieces. Some of them I'm kind of, eh. Some of them, I, like, I, I hated, and we can get into why. Um, I'm not there. The Bob Dylan. <laughs> oh, my God. The Bob God. Dylan movie. Just Which I it. loved. Okay. Oh, my God. <laughs> we'll have to talk about that with it. But yeah. I, I, there's no taking away from the fact that, wow, he is really swinging for the fences. He's really, mm-hmm. he's really doing something challenging and difficult and aesthetically quite beautiful looking, mm-hmm. um, whether you like the approach or not. Um, so at any rate, I mean, he's, yeah, it's, it does seem like, at least if we're taking Edelson, God help us, as yeah. <laughs> a standard, we already sharply disagree. And I, that's kind of why I wanted to use, you know, quotes from Edelson. It seems as if we have, you know, he also ranks the films, and that, of course, is always enraging you know, to see <laughs> how someone that you don't think doesn't really get him, how, how they're ranked, because he seems to do many things wrong. Right. Um, so it's just a, it really helps consolidate one's own point of view. <laughs> yes. Yes, indeed. Indeed. <laughs> Reading someone when you're like, you're wrong. You're wrong. Damn it. <laughs> um, <laughs> so let's talk about Velvet Underground, which again is currently playing. Um, yeah. So Eileen and I, I have mean, not discussed this. We have no idea what each oh, other yeah. thinks. Yeah. No idea. Uh, maybe I'll just lead off just because I had to, I had to write a review of it for Jacobin. So I, I wound and I had an odd reaction to it just because I, there were early reviews coming in and friends that I have, you know, online and were weighing in on it before I could even get to it. Mm-hmm. They attended early screening. And there was so much of a huge reaction, as if they didn't know Haynes, for one thing, mm. to the approach that Haynes takes, which is he uses, you know, there's not, con- there's not concert footage, right? right. Um, there's, there's very relatively little footage of them playing outside of factory, you know, Andy Warhol's factory footage. And, you know, of course, Andy Warhol's factory footage tends to be completely all in on 1960s avant-garde cinema. They were doing revolutionary films there, Warhol mm-hmm. and, and company. So, of course, he, he makes a decision, one of a few key decisions he makes to guide him in, this, in making this film, that he's going to dedicate the film to Jonas Mikas, who's a famous avant-garde filmmaker and fundraiser and all around, you know, um, solid as a rock support system, personal support system for avant-garde film. Mm-hmm. And, you know, there's going to be film drawn from him and Randy Warhol and many, many others. Um, the argument being, um, they were all soaked in this imagery at the time. They're the mm-hmm. factory house band. And that's what's going on um, in New York, in the underground scene. You're going yeah. to see these insane films, which are wonderful. And they're used wonderfully. And very creatively. So people, but people were so over the moon about this as if it was the most amazing thing. They couldn't believe that, <laughs> that Haynes would do something so radical. And I was like, what are you talking about? Hey, <laughs> it's the most sensible approach. Absolutely. This right. Is, this, these are the, the images that they were immersed in. Um, and they're surrounded by artists. It's artists. It's musicians. It's filmmakers. They're all together influencing each other all the time. Mm-hmm. So... So it just seems to me like it's once again the Haynes, the well-adjusted. We, we call this uh, we call this episode, by the way, Todd Haynes avant-garde with heart, because <laughs> again, there's that nice Todd Haynes who has this very nice, very practical side combined with his experimental side, which seems to come out in almost every film he does. 
Absolutely. So I have to. So I wound up leading off just saying, "What's why is everyone flipping out? Like they're thrilled, but I mean, isn't this so Haynes? This isn't this a total Haynes approach and such a sensible approach, really?" A thousand percent. You know, it's like a, it's a portrait of a moment in yeah. in time. You know, and um, yeah, of course, like it may. You know, as you say, this is like a cross a cross not cross-cultural, but like a, a multimedia, um, mm. you know, high meets low art moment. Mm. And there have been like several of these throughout history, but obviously, you know, the mid sixties is like a huge one. And yeah, it just, it makes this, I will say this film is not for the uninitiated. If you don't know who these people are to begin with, or like war, what Warhol's factory really is, um, you're going to be missing kind of like the who, what, where, and, you know, how does this fit into the arc of American art, unless you really pay attention. Um, you know, I think he does do a lot to like set up the early 60s and the squareness of the, <laughs> the late mm. 50s and the early 60s with some early footage of, you, you know, your average kind of like whose line is it anyway <laughs> TV mm-hmm. show or something. Right, exactly. You know? <laughs> which, which Joe, who's appearing on against John Cale? Who? Right, right, right. And yeah. You're like what? I, I mean, TV was really adventurous in it, in, but in this bizarre way, it was ultimately conventional. But the, the most amazing people would show up. So that's how you get, you know, John Lennon and Yoko Ono on the I don't know the Merv Griffin show and stuff. That totally. was actually happening all the time. But it, but now when you look at it, it it's really freakish. Yeah, so such a wild mix of high and low. You know, <laughs> absolutely. Yeah, yeah. And, though I will say it's it's the and and Haynes acknowledges that that his the 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 most avant-garde shall we say part is the opening what quarter of the film or third of the film mm. that's where he's really and he said he and his editors insisted on that being protected you know in in all the subsequent viewings and deciding what needs to be cut which always happens when you're making a documentary you always have more than you can use mm-hmm. they were determined to protect what would strike people as the most avant-garde the least conventional Mm-hmm. Later, it becomes, I think, anyway, a more conventional documentary. I mean, by the time you get to the last, you know, it's it's doing it's doing the rise and fall of the band, the short life, essentially. Yes. Of the band. Yes. Um, so it's not like you can't follow that entirely conventional arc.
Todd Haynes characterized this in, in interviews as what he wants is the, to have the, the, the imagery and the music working together and so to the fore that the kind of, you know, non-fictional narrative arc is way behind. Mm-hmm. And it's, that's especially strong early on. So you're right. If, you're, if you are expecting an entirely conventional PBS talking head documentary, <laughs> you could easily be lost or right. feel like you're lost and you don't know anything about the development on the ground. You could be sitting there going, even though he's he's doing things that are like, what was the child childhood and early youth of John Cale and Lou Reed? Mm-hmm. And you, were, you it's not like you aren't getting like what what are the factors that contribute to the formation of the band? You are, but you're just getting them in a way that is not conventional. So if you're going to get lost anywhere, it would be in that early section, which is the most exhilarating. Yeah, it's wonderful. Beautiful. He he does such a good job of conveying the like stultifying um, world of the suburbs, like mm-hmm. Lou Reed moves from Brooklyn to the Burbs. And, you know, like so many people of that post-war generation, you're in your, your kind of like tight urban neighborhood and then you go to this oh my God, just like claustrophobic, hellish, nuclear mm-hmm. family isolated house right. on a block, you know? And it's mm-hmm. obviously like, it, like you could just feel lose like a uh, sense of despair. Dis- yeah, despair. <laughs> Childhood <laughs> despair. They even talk about as a child. Yeah, tiny. He's having huge suppressive episodes. I mean, a lot of this is really well known. I, I knew much less about John Cale's situation in Wales. Oh my God. He, as he puts it, I had to get out of those valleys. I had to get to a city. You know, he's literally... Oh, it's such a nightmare scenario. There's this, there's this English versus Welsh, that, you know, division in his own family, <laughs> and he's never allowed by his grand, his Welsh grandmother to learn English until he's what, he, until he's sent away to school. Yes, he has an English father. He has an English father, <laughs> and so he can't speak to his father because he yeah. doesn't know English. Yeah. And then he gets sent off to some hell Anglican, you know, school where he's molested <laughs> by priests. Yeah, and it's just. It's just mind-blowingly horrifying. <laughs> so grim. So yeah. grim. And so, and, and there's a really nice, but again, sensible approach, but, but because there's so little style and there's so little excitement in films now, I swear to God, it seems great, more amazing than it is, but that things like they get to New York and when you start with the New York footage, everything plunges into color and fast mode. Yeah. <laughs> so it, and it's like this racing, like, oh, thank Christ, we're out. We're out of the horror show of our youths, and at least somewhere that's going to save us. Right. Um, so that's a very, that's a, just a very smart move to make. But, you know. Yeah, it's thr- <laughs> it's thrilling. And I it, this is like not my era in so many ways. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it, it's a default kind of cool film school uh, downtown NYU kid mm-hmm. <laughs> like era to be into. Mm-hmm. I was never into it personally because mm-hmm. everyone seems pretty self-serious. <laughs> so mm-hmm. like and this is this moment is like that last breath between before everything splits into like high and low forever. You know, like mm-hmm. I feel it, you know, it's like the end of mass entertainment in in a way. Um, and, and obviously, you know, not everyone's into the Velvet Underground, which is mm-hmm. they tackle later, like how alienating and alienated <laughs> this band mm-hmm. is from like hippies and, you know, other, other, yes. um, you know, movements of their time. Yeah, there's but, counterculture to the counterculture. They hate hippies. <laughs> it's so great. <laughs> yeah, there's a very funny section on them in ca- doing their California tour and just like, oh my God. But just hating it. But Haynes made me love it. You know, like I, I think he really just did the the beautiful thing of conveying the energy of the moment with just music and mm-hmm. images. <laughs> like, and, really- you know, I, I think I found it even more exhilarating in the end than you, because it just, again, reminds me 
you know, this is among the last gasps of real bohemianism. They wouldn't have never have called themselves that, but that right. kind of just outsider creative explosion. If you could just get in on it and be there at the right place in the right time, um, as self-serious as they are, I mean, that's not that unusual. <laughs> I mean, True. not Warhol, God knows, you know, a master right. of, of blank irony. Right. Um, but just the sense of like, there's so much that's exciting to get in on and now it's just like where do you even go they, at least they had somewhere to go <laughs> I was yes like where do you go I, I'm, be, I'm hmm. no totally and I'm so inspired like this is the last time I don't know if it's the last time but I you know I love like the spiritual dimension to these crazy mm -hmm. fuckers like in on one hand it's hilarious because like everyone who's not John Cale sounds like they're from Brooklyn or New mm -hmm. Jersey <laughs> so there are all these people who seem like very bound to their time and place but they're really inter interested in like you know Indian philosophy and mm -hmm. um, all mm -hmm. of these ancient traditions that have to do with like deep listening and uh, like mm -hmm. long Long tones and they would do you know crazy avant-garde practices where people would just like play long tones for two hours a day and like and train themselves to hear in ways that you know we don't conventionally hear and I mean it's it's so wonderful to think of like this is a rock and roll band that thought of their mission as in some ways spiritual and yeah. And not <laughs> not hippie-ish somehow, you yeah. know, and it's um, it's and I think like that really comes through this film. Yeah. And, and, and it's insightful in ways that are, are again, have a kind of early practical side with John Cale saying basically the drone is the sound of Western civilization. It's the sound of your refrigerator. Right? Yes. <laughs> the sound of appliances. <laughs> you're just like, oh, you're so right. The you're 60 so cycle right. hum of the refrigerator. Yes. Yeah, yes. that's. That's and that God, I love. I mean, it made me love the Velvet Underground. I, I mean, I always like the Velvet Underground, even though this, like, the Warhol factory is just like. There's something about just being about around it so much as a film person that you're. It mm. becomes almost cliche, but mm. but this, you know, at the end of it, it's not cliche. And the Velvet Underground has that great, just like hum, and they've got like shit tons of space between the beats, and mm. there's this like just amazing like drive, and it's like post-industrial like they're mm -hmm. so crazy but it's also like warm and sexy like i don't know how they do it but god bless them oh god <laughs> so. yeah and you know and it's it's an interesting thing that haynes has done is he's positioned himself somewhere between the expert like experts and people who know nothing so yeah you're, you're right it's going to be uncomfortable if you're a total like you know everything about the velvet underground you, you this might not be for you either you know yeah. I, I, I would think you'd like the opening but maybe not yeah. Um, but if and if you don't know anything and you're and you can only handle very conventionally, it's not for you either. So he's somewhere in a kind of sweet spot of wanting to fully appreciate them in, in detail, but also wanting you to be able to kind of move through the documentary and understand basics, mm -hmm. you know. So, you know, I only you know, I wouldn't have even thought that if you were an expert, you wouldn't get anything out of it. But I, someone I know who is online was like, oh, it was way too conventional. And I'm like, yeah, you're the first one, though, that I've read oh, to wow. say that. And okay. I think, but I think, again, it's that heart thing. It's that Todd Haynes wants, loves, loves them and wants you to, wants love, you them. to love them. Exactly. <laughs> That's yeah. the mission. Um, Absolutely. So yeah. Yeah. It, so I really loved it. I mean, I was just like, I, but you know, I have to admit, I never know with myself, my bar keeps getting lowered just by <laughs> the lack of doing anything on the part of most filmmakers. But that's one thing to really appreciate, appreciate about Haynes. He's always doing something. He's always doing, it's always a creative angle. It's always something different. He doesn't repeat himself. 
I agree. Or if he, re- he repeats himself in some factor, it's a creative factor. So an example would be Julianne Moore in two different melodramas, mm. Far From Heaven and Safe, with almost the same name. So you, he deliberately tries to link them. She's named Carol White in one and Carol Whitaker in the other. <laughs> very deliberate, even though they're different eras. Uh-huh. So that kind of, now I'm going to go back into this, but from a completely other angle. So he's always got a surprising new approach, even if there are continuities between, broad continuities between his various films. Absolutely. No, it's, and it makes so much sense to me that you said he wanted to be a teacher. Like, well, first I, what I do sometimes, like before I teach like Fassbender, mm-hmm. I, I will like watch Todd Haynes talk about Fassbender because he's, he's so, so lucid. Yes. <laughs> oh my God. Ali fear eats the soul. Go immediately. This is the Criterion Collection version, yes, right? Yes. Just go to the Todd Haynes extra and you'll have everything you need to teach practically. It's really he, good. Oh my God, he's a doll. But it, this film does that work, you know? Like, mm-hmm. I mean, as you've been saying, there's something like lovingly didactic about this, mm-hmm. even though it's not straightforward. Like I also, like, please don't fire me, uh, UC Berkeley. <laughs> but like, I <laughs> fucking hate the Warhol kiss and the Empire State, but, you know, mm-hmm. Empire State. I hate all that shit, okay? I like, it's just so boring. I'm so sorry to those people listening who are like, must be terribly offended by this. But, um, but I can help you with this. I used to feel the same. If you, There's a four hour Andy Warhol document if you even watch the first chunk of it you will it'll transform your whole well, relationship to Warhol. Todd Haynes transformed it thank you Todd oh, Haynes oh good <laughs> and in much shorter time <laughs> yeah exactly exactly and like in a in very short time you know I mean ironically he he makes all these um links between the idea of duration and Empire State and the kiss and and just like the space in the sort of like tonal experiments in the Velvet Underground's music and I was totally down I was like hell yeah sign me up I will stare at this for 12 hours you know like and so that's I mean that's the magic of Haynes and I get it why some people who are like super expert in this Mm -hmm. would find that too obvious you Mm -hmm. know but I think for the vast majority of the population this will lead to like a greater appreciation of all of the arts of this era right I mean a good example would be you know of a kind of creativity that might not look that creative but that is if it's if it's framed for you properly um there's a ton of split screen and even you know a triptych screen you know there's many many screens that yeah almost the whole time or almost the entire film is one one of the appreciations of what warhol is doing in kind of mini in a kind of painless miniature is using the little three minute films that guests at andy warhol's factory were were required basically to make of themselves you went into a little booth you you ran the camera on yourself um, little black and white three minute films, and you were asked to just stare into the camera and try not to blink. But a lot, of, some people did. Some people, John Cale didn't. I think he looks down. Mm-hmm. Lou Reed's three minute film is among the most beautiful of of all. He never looks more beautiful than in this film that he makes of himself. Mm-hmm. Um, but they're there, and they do something odd with time. They, all all of Warhol films do. They all seem to be in slight slow mo that takes them a little bit out of <laughs> the time we live in. Mm-hmm. And they're running in these split screen effects next to all the footage of, say, Lou Reed's upbringing, um, you know, what led him to um, New York and the Velvet Underground, creation of the Velvet Underground, and then John Cale's. And you, so you just get to drink in the beauty of these three minute films, which they run in their entirety. Um, and, you know, there's little things like they, they always let those little, um, I'm blanking on my film terminology, but, you know, the little sprocket hole things. Yeah. He would, he would keep always keep everything in the film, identifying it as film. Mm-hmm. Um, so you get these little tastes of the kind of mesmerizing qualities of 
of Andy Warhol films just through the beauty of all of this split screen imagery without having to try to sit through, you know, sleep or, <laughs> or <Right>. empire. <laughs> so it's a kind of, it's, it is very teachery. You're right. And it's non-punishing. Let me sort of bring you in right. to this experience and allow you to appreciate it in, by contextualizing it for you. So, yeah. So there's a lot of qualities like that that are really praiseworthy about Velvet Underground. Absolutely. And I, I, you know, I don't know. Ultimately, I found myself wondering what the film thought about the limits of mm -hmm. all of these experiments. Like, mm -hmm. um, usually films about this moment end with the decadence that comes and the total, like, you know, shitty explosion of the world into yeah. filth in the 70s, or at mm -hmm. least like the coming of Reagan, you know, something to mm -hmm. be like, it didn't work. <laughs> um, right. This film kind of doesn't, I don't think, contains that. Like, I think there's something about it that lets it uh, be, it's not inevitable that this mm. kind of experiment ends in decadence that leads to total desiccation. Right. Um, which is cool. But I did find myself wondering, um, that at one point, one of the, one of the, um, women, oh God, mm. I forgot her name. I suck. Um, but anyways, uh, she, you know, she would like dance with, with the band. Oh, um, Mary Warnoff? Yes, Mary Warnov. Yeah. You know, she would she would Factory say number. Yeah. Yeah, when they were talking about um their anti-hippiness in a lot of mm -hmm. ways, which you know is totally understandable, mm -hmm. um she would sum up how the artist has to be anti. You know, she mm -hmm. would say the human race is fucked up, so you become mm -hmm. anti a lot of things. That's where the artist comes in and that's where I really started to think to myself like, you know, that has that has real limits. Mm -hmm. Um at the end of the day, you can't just be anti everything. I get how you could be that way in the early 60s or the mid 60s, but then you come up against, well, what kind of world are you going to make, you know? Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. I think the art of this time kind of tried to answer that, but you know, then everyone died of drug overdoses. So mm. it's there like, well, or, but you know, arguably or worse joined up like in the eighties. <laughs> yeah. Everybody just joined the worst mainstream that we'd come up with yet. Really, right. Really freaking depressing. <laughs> yeah. Word. So, but I mean, in a way, like I like that the film itself avoids, um, it does. It, at the end, it does list the years when all the major players die, mm. but it doesn't seem to suggest like, oh, yeah, this experiment brought them to this tragic end, mm -hmm. which I like because I'm still like left questioning. Like I still have my, you know, I still have my qualms about mm -hmm. the anti stance, but I was like, yeah, I think we we do need a little more deep listening and, you know, mm -hmm. uh, experimental tonalities and just like coming together for happenings, you know, like I think we do need more of that. <laughs> Well, and so, there's, there's the face of John Cale, and no one has ever aged better than Oh, that. my God. He's so handsome. What the hell? So and that voice. so insanely handsome and so charismatic. He's just it's like that Welsh voice. Yeah. yeah. And it's just he's so better than ever that yeah. even without anyone commenting on it, it becomes yeah. like, you know, you can come through all of the horrible stuff and see that. You know, True. It doesn't, it doesn't have to all go bad. And that, it does seem like, naively or not, he doesn't want to go there, you know. Right. Pace, I mean, he just exactly. doesn't want to. Yeah. Because yeah. this era is a huge inspiration for him. Like, if you've mm -hmm. ever seen Velvet Goldmine, which mm -hmm. is, you know, one of his hits from the late 90s, mm -hmm. David Bowie, Glam Rock, which is, you mm -hmm. know, the next stage after Lou mm -hmm. Reed. Um, those, those people were, like, hugely transformative for him as, mm -hmm. you know, just, like, historical figures. Like, yes, as a gay man, obviously, but, you know, also as someone who wants the world to be more like art, 
you know? Right. Um, and so who I, sounds concerned. If you, if you look at a couple of reviews, there's this one review. I can't wish I could remember in one. I read too many of them. He talks about like, I'm not I, for the, like, it almost sounded like for the first time, I'm not seeing it. I'm not, I'm not seeing the. Oh my God. I didn't hear and, him and the, that. He, and the interviewer can't handle it and says, it's somewhere. It's always somewhere. You just don't know where it is. And, <gasps> and, and Haynes is like doubtfully saying, yeah, you're probably right. Oh my I'm just God. not aware of where the creative vision that rejects this mainstream thing that is so suffocating and horrifying. He's just like, I'm just not seeing people say no. <laughs> I'm just not seeing it. And oh my I was God. Just it, like, Todd Hayes, <laughs> who's as cheerful a fellow. Yes. His affect is, is feeling a little despair. Now I'm scared. Jesus. Oh my yeah. God. Well, yeah. okay. So his two most recent films before this, um, mm-hmm. they're an interesting pair, and maybe they speak to this. Um, so before this comes Dark Waters, which I'll talk mm-hmm. about in a second. And before that comes this film called Wonderstruck. Mm-hmm. And what Wonderstruck is a lovely film about it didn't get great reviews. And there's something about it that's quite slow. But who cares? It's about these two young boys who like get stuck overnight in a museum. Mm-hmm. It's beautiful and odd. And it's about this like very touching, you know, friendship between boys. And you don't get to see boys sort of like have a loving friendship mm-hmm. like this on screen a lot. But it's um, and of course the title, Wonderstruck, mm-hmm. <laughs> is about how, you know, strange and fascinating the world is, especially at that age when you're just like when all of these things are coming into view, like the weird arc of history, like, you know, dinosaurs and then homo sapiens, and then, mm-hmm. you know, and like um, aerial views of the of a city and just all of the weird ways you conceive of the world as it mm-hmm. starts to as you start to learn about it. Mm-hmm. So that that is very like in line with his like, let's marvel at the strangeness of life. Mm-hmm. But then his next film yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> is is Dark Waters about mm-hmm. the you know, the DuPont company poisoning the environment in this small West Virginia town. And it's, it stars Mark Ruffalo, a comrade. Um, and it, it's so weird because it's like set in the early nineties and Todd does like marshal all of his amazing visual, like prowess to like mm-hmm. make the, you know, corporate offices of like Cleveland <laughs> seem somehow interesting, <laughs> but but it is, you know, he, you know, he too can't like he can't turn away from contemporary politics and he doesn't. Mm-hmm. Um, but there is something about Dark Waters where it's like, oh, the wonder is in a, like a lot of ways, like leached from this world that mm-hmm. he's portraying. Um, so I'm very I'm very glad almost that he like it's like he needs to go back to the Velvet Underground to like find mm-hmm. inspiration and like remember why he does this. Oh, I yes, I agree. Because yeah. I, I remember seeing the preview for Dark Water and, and when it came up that it was a time a film by Todd Haynes I was shocked it was I the know. first time I was ever like I would never have pegged that as a Todd Haynes film ever yeah it's yeah. good it's it's worth it it's hard to, as Eileen discovered you have to like buy it yeah um, it's like 15 bucks <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah whatever bastards bastards yeah <laughs> yeah yeah you know it, it you know to balance off that you know think of how Haynes comes out of the gate after 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 just a few short films as a student in his student years, he makes the most extraordinary feature. It's called Superstar, the Karen Carpenter story. Of course. <laughs> uh, um, it's, it's, you know, it's Barbie dolls. It's Ken and Barbie dolls playing the various roles in stop motion animation. And of course, relying heavily on, you know, the pop songs of, of the Carpenters. Oh my God. And Richard Carpenter does not come off at all. It's one of the portraits of, of women 
who are just entirely imprisoned um, <laughs> in in their lives, even if their lives look from the outside look highly, you know, privileged and like lu- luxurious inside. They're being killed in Karen Carpenter's you know life. Literally, she develops anorexia. Mm-hmm. Um, her her emotional problems are so huge and never addressed by the people who surround her, particularly her brother Richard, who of course got wind of the film hated it refused to license the song you could well if you saw it you'd be like oh yeah i guess so and so it's it's a very much an underground film you can apparently if you're creative you know find illegal ways to watch it but you can't (laughs) legally get a hold of it all these years later and this was back in 1988 that this comes out yeah if you were lucky enough to be at a film festival as i was see it you could you couldn't believe it. Of course, everyone starts off laughing. You know, it seems like it's just some sort of camp classic thing. It seems tellingly yep. funny, and it just gets more and more shattering. The lo- it works more and more emotionally the longer you watch it. It's the most oh my extraordinary God. experience. People come out of there going, "How can that have been that moving?" Their Barbie doll, <laughs> and it just works that well. <laughs> I'm so, so jealous yeah. that you've seen this. I'm oh yeah, so it's, jealous. It's it's a right rightly le- like legendary film for, the, yeah. for that reason is is how emotionally <laughs> it, it works and again starting him off on themes that are he's are going to preoccupy him um in many of his later films yeah um yeah so i mean the, the so of course he just immediately is a critical darling a film festival darling. everyone's like who's this who's this guy yeah um this guy's gonna got gonna have the future so the teaching thing isn't gonna happen after all he's gonna become a full-time filmmaker <laughs> and it's amazing he's not made that many films he really hasn't what nine or ten films it's over true all of these years i yeah. i think it takes him a really long time to like prepare yeah years between yeah yeah and um poison is one i like at least teach in clips that was kind mm-hmm. of his breakthrough feature yes. like you know uh start like came in the wave of new queer cinema in like 1991 1992 when Sundance had its first like <laughs> queer panel and you know there were all these queer film festivals all over the country and the world really and strangely and- he benefits from the, the this right-wing conservative campaign against the the National Endowment for the Arts which partially funded his film um, right. and of course it you know it becomes this enormous scandal as the right goes on the attack over this film and some others and and some other works um, that are being funded by the NEA. And he benefits from this weirdly because it makes him, you know, it makes him much better known almost immediately. Absolutely. And but, you know, I love this moment in time, like not mm. all of the films that associated with new queer cinema are like great, you know, but right. but, mm. but there is like something about them that's buoyant and like full of humor. That is something mm. I do not see in queer oh, activists. Do I miss it? You, you yeah. look at some of the films, you're like, where did it go? It was so great. And it was all so freeing and delightful. And yeah. It, yeah, totally. Like, j- like very briefly, like Poison is three stories woven together. One is kind of like a, a very campy restaging of like a 1950s sci-fi movie where, um, the you know, the scientist figures out how to take some drug that makes him like very sexually potent, right? Mm-hmm. A very like Kinsey era thing. And then um, it, there's also, uh, uh, oh my God, oh, who's the French guy? Um Everyone, um, uh, super Jean gay. Genet? Yes, thank you. Yeah. Mm-hmm. There's like a, a Jean Genet story woven in about mm-hmm. um, prisoners in love mm-hmm. <laughs> in like, I don't know, 19. 19- 
30s France or something. Mm -hmm. And then um, my favorite one is about a boy who just takes off and flies. He's a teenage boy (laughs) and his father's an abusive fuck. And Mm -hmm. he just takes off and flies. And one way they talk and and they're um the way it's like staged in the film is his family members and neighbors are like reflecting on what they saw as though it's kind of like a dateline like mm-hmm. you know story about this event. And obviously there are, you know, ideas about what it is to like, you know, be gay and and mm-hmm. want to be free and just fly off. But really, who can't relate to just this like, <laughs> yes. you know, absurd like I just want to fly away from my fucking New Jersey like suburban home or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um and it's so again, they're woven together especially the Janae story is you know, very violent and obviously like that's the one that incensed the right. (laughs) Yeah. That makes sense. Listen, sexuality, there's violence, there's yeah. Yeah. There's a lot of men, you know, Mm. fucking in prison um, and kind of being miserable and excited about it. Mm. Um, But these three are woven together in a way that's like, it's so fun. (laughs) (laughs) It's so fun. And like, where did that go? (laughs) So I don't know. But this, you know, this used to be like, I mean, instead of just like dwelling on oppression, 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 Mm. it's like there used to be a big sense of F you by being buoyant about it. Like, remember, who are the guys who made what's the movie about? Leopold and Loeb. Um, oh, it was so good. Oh, I know. I know what it is. What the heck was the name of it? Oh, I suck. I'll Google it. But anyways, yet another moment, like, you know, I feel like today Leopold and Loeb being like, you know, well-known lovers who Mm. killed killed a boy irrationally, you know, on Mm. on the fly in the 20s for Mm. thrills. Um, Hitchcock made rope about the same story. Mm -hmm. And in the 90s, you know, some some wonderful queer filmmaker made a film about it in a way that's like really funny and deconstructive and it's kind of like well you think that's what we are here it is you know to mm-hmm. the to, to the second degree um and i don't know d- just that sense of like irreverence and like rewriting history with awareness but also like a sense of humor mm-hmm. <laughs> is kind of gone yeah <laughs> so, yeah kind of kind of eradicated deadly. yeah <laughs> yes. anyway anyway but, yes um and it you know it's huh, how can I swoon? It's this? called swoon. Mark, sorry, swoon, that's uh, it. Yes, 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 yeah. yes, yes. Tom Kalen, bless him. Okay, that's right. That's <laughs> um, but you know, it really, it really points up. You know, one of the main threads through Haynes' films are you know the entrapment versus possibility of freeing oneself. Mm-hmm. It's interesting to me how how and of course naturally this brings him, in, given some of his preoccupations, it brings him to melodrama and brings him to Cirque. Especially because he often, and again, this would not fly very well with a lot of, um, um, you know, the hard left anyway. He'll often take quite privileged women, white women mm-hmm. figures, um, you know, really coming off of Cir- Cirque and Mel- Douglas Cirque melodrama. And, and emphasize, you know, the kind of horror of the privileged situation, which is like, you know, just a, just a velvety trap that you're, that you're in. Mm-hmm. And it's, but it's not just, it's, you know, using like Cirque did. The comfortable interiors, so that's this is going to be true of Far From Heaven and um, Safe, um, as what's something that that strikes you more and more with fear and horror and dread. But there's also it's like the extent to which those structures have been internalized, mm-hmm. so the women can't can't even find in themselves what's wrong, or 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 figure out a desire or a way to counter it within themselves, and yes. that becomes the most kind of devastating aspect. 
Um, especially in safe is the main one where, where she moves from one kind of trap to another kind of trap as she becomes environmentally ill, you know, move, winds up moving out of her house, going to a kind of new age commune where she's <laughs> living in an all supposedly all chemical free environment. She winds up in this kind of, you know, tinfoil lined igloo, white igloo, yeah. um, interacting with no one and saying, I love you into the mirror. Um, uh, with no conviction (laughs) whatsoever. Um, so the, so this kind of, how do we get out of the trap? Sometimes he can find these kind of more joyous, more, more buoyant, more humorous, but then he's got his melodrama move where of course it's still exhilarating. Melodrama is complicated. You can get all sorts of emotional exhilaration over the very extremes of it. Yeah. Even if it has a very, one would say downbeat. (laughs) Um, quality to the ending but it's interesting how when it's the women and far from heaven is probably the best example the woman winds up being a kind of ultimate victim in a way that i don't think would play very well again on the left now yeah um, and he, even in interviews he'll say no the woman loses so the, the, if you if you've seen far from heaven it it kind of updates all that heaven allows um a douglas Sirk film of the 50s Mm-hmm. but adds elements that Cirk couldn't have explicitly dealt with. So instead mm-hmm. of it just being class and gender in a kind of older, very upper upper middle class, you know, affluent um, woman who feels trapped, who falls in love with her gardener. Um, so this, again, class <laughs> and gender. Far from Heaven. Yeah, uh, yeah, in, in, yeah, in play. In Far From Heaven, um, he brings in, you know, the, 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 the husband is still alive, but he's a closeted gay man. And the gardener is black, so you bring in you bring in the elements that, that were almost impossible to um, to integrate, yeah, um, into your narrative. Um, so, so in doing that, he he has an interesting ending where he seems to be positing at the end the the husband is able to find a way to live as a gay man that's not going to destroy him. It's worse, of course, for the black man. He has to leave town, but there's still something of, of kind of hope. Seems like some, the way it's shot and handled is something of hopefulness in his ability to get away. And what's left is the woman. And she's also leaving the town where they all, all encountered each other. Mm-hmm. But she's with the children, and she's the one who leaves with a, a sense of total despair. Like, where is she going to go? What's she going to do? What's her life going to be? Yep. And that seems very daring to me, to make that, that the... That the site of like that's where the biggest trap is. That's an interesting thing. It's true. That's the same conflict in Carol. The big, you know, the biggest mm-hmm. issue is that she's not a man. She's someone's. Uh, Carol is a lesbian romance, and Carol yeah. is a woman who falls in love with an, a younger woman, and sh- that that's going to be her biggest tragedy and cross to bear. She's a mother, mm-hmm. you know, and there's a very um, intense scene where she has to she gives up custody of her child, um, which is, you know, I mean, you don't see that in films and that's mm. not shown as heroic, <laughs> but in this film in Carol, it is. Mm-hmm. And in a sense, it's an answer to far from heaven. It's like, right. you know what Julianne Moore would have had to have done? Mm-hmm. Give up those kids, up kids. Yeah. <laughs> you know? And that's not, you know, it's not easy. And I, mm-hmm. you know, I don't like chuckle at that. Like that's fun, <laughs> but mm-hmm. it's, um, th- that is the, that's the weight that women bear. And I think he has like great compassion for, and you know, insight into that. He seems to really intensely invest in that idea. Yeah. <laughs> in, in a way, in a way that sometimes can seem quite counterintuitive. Like really, yep. 
you know, you, you know, you might think in a literal minded way, perhaps as a gay man himself, always been open about it. He would identify in Far From Heaven more with, you know, the plight of the gay man. No not, way. Not at all. Easy peasy. Played <laughs> yeah. by Dennis Quaid. He simply finds himself a boyfriend. Right. <laughs> sets himself up in a bachelor apartment with the boyfriend and apparently is going to be able to carry right on. Yep. Without a, without a blip. Yep. Um, and it's so it's the woman who 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 bears the whole burden in the end. Uh, so yeah, I, it's, it's a really shocking thing that he really and he stands up for it um, in, in interviews. God bless um, him. Yeah, <laughs> I love him so much. <laughs> it's a remarkable stance. It really is, and 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 it's so different from the the films he makes when it's still the somewhat the same problem. You know, even in even in, in Velvet Underground, the problem is how do you get your you're trapped, you're ideologically trapped, you're sometimes physically, literally trapped mm-hmm. in in the kind of mainstream world that's a monstrous one. How do you get yourself out? Well, in the ones that are kind of loose biopics or in some way dealing with the arts, the music world, etc., mm-hmm. th- that's the way out. That's the obvious way out. It's but it but then the emphasis tends to be, but it's super tricky and difficult. So like if you look at I'm Not There. There's so many ways that they attempt to co-opt, tame, mm-hmm. bring back Dylan back into a way that he does. He, and all the ways, and there's, of course, the, the conceit of the film is there's the formally is there's, I forget how many, eight different actors, major actors playing different aspects of Bob Dylan. Yep. So Christian Bale and Kate Blanchett, and I'm not going to be able to remember everyone who's playing, but you know, and it's all different segments representing different aspects of like, Bob Dylan. Yep. Um, and in all of them, there's going to be these challenges to how can an artist who's considered this protean figure in music, how can he preserve that? Yes. Yeah. Um, es- escape is like one of Todd Haynes, like most, uh, you know, dearest wishes. Mm. I don't think that the people in the, his films do escape, but they're always mm. trying to like evade someone or something's death grip. Right, right, and- right, right. And that's I'm not there, which you didn't like. <laughs> Tell me about it. But I only didn't like because it's so worshipful of Dylan, whether he feels that or not. It mm. seems so worshipful. I agree. I, I can't take Dylan as my personal Lord and Savior. Right? Oh wow! So okay. I just found myself fighting it throughout, and and I I was a little resentful that he never does the Dylan that Dylan the self mythologizer never acknowledges himself, which is what about being a Jewish kid from Minnesota, a middle class mm. Jewish kid from Minnesota? Where's that? Instead, there's a segment where he's literally a black boy, a well, little because- black boy claiming to be Woody Guthrie. You that know, makes and obviously sense. it's it's it, well, obviously it's referring to yeah, it's his his you know his musical influences, et cetera, et cetera. But to to still just refuse to have anything that acknowledges what he was fleeing from, presumably. But Which he's not there. Own. He doesn't want you to know the truth of his. And, and boy, is 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 Haynes going to respect that in a way that <laughs> I never would have. I'd have been like, no, man, that's we're going to definitely have Jewish kid from Minnesota. That's got to be in the mix. But but, but yeah. I I guess I see it more as like these are the Bob Dylan like persona, you know, mm-hmm. and um, it it's like kind of parading, showing us how he keeps trying to escape. Yeah. So I would I I would think but, it would be like the opposite to like try to show you the real Bob Dylan. Like the point is like that's not least, the point of Bob Dylan. <laughs> well, but certainly every everyone isn't just purely a persona. Everyone has is an aspect of a life lived, right? I, I didn't think it was just pure myth. I mean, I, the whole segments on him wrestling with the press, the press trying to pin him, pin him, pin him. You can watch that in 
you know, <laughs> documentary footage on Dylan doing exactly that, trying to figure out how to not get pinned down into some conventional, you know, easily pegged reply. Well, true, but I guess, oh, I don't know, where are we differing here? I Like, I think it's that the film is showing the flight, not the thing that he's, like, not the Well, no, I agree, that, that... I agree with you. He's clearly not doing that. It's just whether you think <laughs> that would have been a good piece to include. I don't know. I mean, especially for someone who's so interested in the entrapment as well as the attempted escape. He's so invested in both. I agree, but I just for that project, you know, which is called like I'm not there. You don't want to show the thing that is there. <laughs> well, I know, you know, but then you've got a whole segment on, you know, the husband who feels trapped in his marriage even though he loves his wife and blah blah, you know, the custody battle over the kids and that's all that's trap. And I'm that's not there? Whole, yeah. Okay, I guess I don't remember. <laughs> about him him and the French woman. Who's who's the actor playing that thing? Oh, Heath Ledger's playing him in that. Okay. I can't converse about this intelligently because I don't no, remember sorry. that. <laughs> sorry. Well, anyway. Uh, that's anyway. Right. That's, that's right. just my prejudice. As yeah. I, I just felt he, he, he just loves this figure so much. He's not going to in any way harsh the mellow of. <laughs> I think These you're are right. My various, yeah, self-pathologizing. And at the end, I really had the impression that, you know, it's, it's, it's back to the Kate Blanchett one, the one that was the most obviously wrestling, you know, trying to fight against being, you know, pinned down rhetorically. Yeah. And it ends on her just just spouting all all of the practically cabbages and kings speech of like Dylan is not a folk singer because Dylan is all of this stuff. Dylan, you know, musically just is he he contains multitudes. It's that kind of speech. And then she turns the, and kind of smirks at the camera as if that was so good <laughs> that I pulled it off again and I'm gone. I'm out. I'm not there. Yeah. Yeah. So I, it seemed triumphal in the end. I agree with you. I, I think mm -hmm. it is. And I think you're right. It's it's like very respectful of Dylan. You know, like Haynes yeah, <laughs> Haynes doesn't want to pin him down. Yeah, but I don't I don't mind. <laughs> so uh, I, I I feel pretty reverent of Dylan too. So <laughs> Oh, okay. Well yeah, I think that is the dividing line. How yeah. reverent are you? Is yeah. how much you're gonna you're gonna yeah. like it. <laughs> but I think we can both agree to hate on Mildred Pierce. <laughs> oh yes. I didn't even make it through and I tried. I got about halfway through and I was like, God damn, this is boring. Why is this so boring? And it got so many like Emmy nominations and yeah, they awards have to. and stuff. And man, yeah, it was an yeah. adaptation of a respected thing, you know, with yeah. Kate. Winslet. And again, it's a melodrama. <laughs> you know, it seems so much just like that's a very Todd Haynes thing to take on. Totally, yet, it was the first time it was ever boring. I think it was like, why was it that many episodes? Like that know, shit was just, a good two-hour movie for exactly. a reason. <laughs> just my example. What finally, well, it didn't finally break me, but remembering it broke me was. There's a segment on her learning to be a good waitress that I swear to God goes on for half an hour. And you're like, <laughs> in the in the Joan Crawford 1940s version of this movie, that's like 30 two, seconds. 30 seconds. <laughs> yeah. She there's a tiny little montage as she gets better and better, and then she's a great waitress, and then she owns a restaurant. Yeah. And it's just like you're moving, 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 and here you go on and on and on as she learns to be a good. I mean, I guess he's trying to kind of respect. You know, the labor bound quality of Mildred. She truly For has sure. to work her way to the top. But it's wow, is it literal and, and boring? Oh my God, I know. <laughs> and I can like, I can like see the dissertation of it. You know, it's yeah. just like women's work, domestic yes. labor. I'm just like, stop, Todd. It's too educated. No. <laughs> yeah. It's yeah. It's, it's the only <laughs> failed melodrama I think he's done because otherwise he, he's really 
He's just born for that. He's very, very great at it. And, you know, a lot of people point to Safe as his big masterpiece. I don't know. I don't know if I was. It certainly seems absolutely seamlessly perfect. I watched it again. and I was Yeah, like, oh. I would say I would say Safe is the safest yeah, for any critic safest. to like. <laughs> it, there's no missteps. There's no there's no rough. Ev- it's so perfectly formed. It's a little it's a little scary. And I think he intends it to be. You, yeah. you, you should feel suffocated by the end. Like not Definitely. only because she's literally suffocating in certain scenes because she can't breathe because she's allergic to the entire world. Right. Um, and politically, because, it's very like safe, you know? Yeah. Well, is how in what way is it safe politically? For the left. <laughs> like it's that there's no, uh, there's not too much sympathy for the bourgeoisie, you know, yeah. which comes through in his other films. It's the most like searing indictment, I think, right. okay. of, of, a, of the Gwyneth Paltrow type right. <laughs> you know right. um so i think it's very safe for people to like oh i see it, what you mean oh, yeah okay. i gotcha yeah 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 because mm-hmm. the because it's the most it, it's the least sympathetic to that world you know yeah and it is it's just it is it's a kind of quiet quietly effective horror show in that way right i mean it's even the color schemes are just kill you you know salmon with teal and brass <laughs> fixtures and just like everything that hurts you and yet is clearly supposed to be the most expensive and elegant and conventional way to do your home and so there's all of these ways you know she's does aerobics and is in every way perfect and it's just a, just vacuous mm-hmm. like there is no person <laughs> like you're like you can't and she does you know julianne moore it's her first major role of course she all the praise there is in the world and she's very good at at doing that kind of terribly breathy voice that seems to have no strength behind it so <laughs> so yeah so it's very effective in that way you know certainly far from heaven which is you know gets some mainstream crossover for haynes which periodically he gets you know sometimes he's more specialized in it's yeah a certain amount of crossover um is more to more flaw obviously kind of flawed with rough edges kind of film seems to me anyway yeah, I I on re- I loved it when it came out. I saw mm, it in the theaters yes. in 2002 and I was really into like Cirque at the time and mm. I rewatched it recently and I did not think it was as good as I'd remembered it. Mm-hmm. It, um, it doesn't hold up nearly as well, I agree. <laughs> you become really aware of yeah, I don't know. It's, it, you could feel the strain of trying to be Cirquean. Yes, yeah. exactly. Exactly. Yeah. It's too I don't know, too aware of its I mean, obviously it's all about its influences. It's mm. would you call it pastiche almost? I'm uncertain, actually. I think it certainly would have been called that. I'm sure it was when it came out, mm-hmm. given the time frame and everything was being called Pomo, you know, leading up to it. Yeah. But it seems kind of maybe when I watch it, it seems kind of literal in a way that I, I have a hard time putting it together with. If it's being Pomo, what's it doing? Yeah, I, I, I'm with you. I'm with you. Yeah. I don't. I don't. I think it's actually like full of it seems heart. Quite straightforward. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. As if to say, yeah, we can just go back to Cirque Country, do Cirque, and it would still be, it be, would still be valid. <laughs> right. You know. Right. Yeah. But it, it doesn't yeah. play now. Like the the race and gender and uh, all of those dynamics, um, they seem like dated, <laughs> and there are and like Finn. too many problems. Yeah. Yeah. yeah exactly. Exactly. Yeah. It doesn't have it doesn't have the emotional half either. And yeah, it's weird. No. It's weird how it didn't. It doesn't hold up. I agree. It has yeah. some beautiful color work, however. Oh, it's you gorgeous. Know, it's, it's drawing on the famously gorgeous, even if even if maddeningly vivid technicolor, you know, color schemes of Cirque, of course. But it has some really nice shifts in 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 daring color choices that I, I had to admire. You know, Absolutely, this kind of brick red dress with a lavender scarf that just should not work. <laughs> it does. 
<laughs> you know, I had, to, I had to admire that he has that kind of an eye, which we just don't do that. Anymore. Color schemes? Forget it. Oh Who my does God, color scheme? It's so, we're bereft. There is no Manelli in our, right, in our right. world. There is no one. Um, so yeah, so it's always thrilling to have somebody be able to put a couple of colors together that make you go, huh, let me rethink it. <laughs> let me rethink it all. Um, it hardly ever happens. Yeah. I mean, like Manelli, who, you know, used to design his films beginning with a set of paper dolls, you know, creating his mise-en-scene. I, I, Todd Haynes also like, you know, he makes mood boards and, mm-hmm. uh, you know, like inspiration, inspirational, like assemblages of images. And it, I mean, you can definitely tell because that's, yeah. you know, probably mm-hmm. his one of the most memorable things about him. But yeah, I, I'm with you. I think like, you know, Far From Heaven is like the last uh, uh, moving into I'm not there is like mm. the Pomo is petering out, you know? Mm. And then Mildred Pierce seems very straightforward, like mind numbingly. Yes. So, and then, mm. <laughs> and then we get Carol, which is like a, a very moving love story. Mm. You know, you don't get a lot of those anymore. Mm. And then into Wonderstruck dark waters, which are, they all seem very like, um, uh, not uh, straight is not the appropriate word, but <laughs> well, <laughs> I know what you mean. <laughs> yeah. Like straightforward, you yes. know, like, I although- mean, my- I have yeah. hopes about the upcoming Peggy Lee. Bio. Oh my God, it's going to be great. Fever. I really, fever. It's called <laughs> Fever. So already that's promising. And, you know, it combines two of his real preoccupations. You know, the woman, the trapped woman in, there's Peggy Lee in the 50s. Yeah. Um, and, you know, not a happy woman from what I know. Very, very much, you know, a formidable woman, but definitely mm-hmm. not a happy woman. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's got that and it's got the whole performer, performer who can kind of, who can kind of escape who can who can who has at least the potential to fight yes um you got to combine into one that could be very very nice yeah absolutely absolutely yeah. and yeah i don't even like i feel almost feel like we should save carol for like Chris- christmas movies or <laughs> <laughs> i feel like we can't cover it i just i don't know no certainly not in your turn carol is dolores's is it favorite movie? At least current favorite, I would say. I think it's like the movie that's meant the most to me that has come out in my lifetime. Most of the wow. films I like are old. <laughs> but uh-huh. like, I, I seldom, like seldom does a film come out while I'm alive to view it <laughs> like uh-huh. in the theater. Yeah, I saw it so many times that the New Parkway gave me a poster. <laughs> <laughs> no way! Yeah. <laughs> Shout out, thanks to the New Parkway in Oakland. Um, <laughs> well, if you could just say in one, in a sentence or two, and relating it to Todd Haynes like what what is so compelling um he loves the women so very much um Mm -hmm. it's very it's a to say it's like a beautiful love story is so reductive it's Mm -hmm. there is something sinister about it because it's adapted from a novel called the price of salt by Patricia Highsmith yeah there's gotta be something sinister (laughs) it's Highsmith yeah and he gets all I don't know he just understands it's he's talked about it like this. And I agree. It's the pace of falling in love. Mm -hmm. There's that. And there's a lot of waiting and it's like, it's very like obsessive and, you know, uh, little things mean a lot. So Mm. people who don't like the film are bored by the pace. Mm. People who don't like the film, (laughs) there's almost an invisible quality. Like if you're a straight man, maybe I don't Mm. want to centralize, but often Mm. straight men end up watching this film and they're like, I don't, did anything happen? (laughs) (laughs) There's a, there's a legendary tweet that has become a legend amongst Mm. the gays. Mm. Um, Someone tweeted it about watching Carol at a Mm. matinee and there were just a couple other people, including an old couple, a man and a woman in Mm. the theater halfway through the film which is a lesbian love story the Mm -hmm. woman turns to the man and says harold 
they're lesbians. <laughs> <laughs> So Harold didn't get it the whole damn time. There's something about this that like takes so much. So wow. it just, it's become a shorthand, like on the, you know, the lesbian Twitterverse, just like all you have to say now is Harold. <laughs> <That's, laughs> it's like when there's, when there's something about gals being pals, that's like so obviously gay, but like the world cannot see it. That's a moment for Harold. And like, you know. So this film, either you're the type of person who swoons over the like minutest uh-huh. sign that someone might like you back, which is, uh-huh. you know, obviously very tied to like a gay experience, you know, right. when people can't be, but, or you're someone who doesn't, you know, and if like, yeah. if that's not your jam, then you're not going to like Carol. Um right. Carol's exquisite. It's perfect. Um, it like rewards multiple viewings. <laughs> mm-hmm. I I don't know what else to say. Like it's it's devastating and beautiful, and um, and it is among the most glamorously shot movies ever. Oh, they it, look it, it's, so amazing. It's deliberately swoony. Um, yes, so that you you can never stop staring at Kate Blanchett. You yes, just photographed her so. <laughs> that that it's it's meant to take your breath away. Repeatedly. Yeah, yeah. But it's this weird texture. It's like somehow not a, not really glossy. Mm-hmm. Like the visual inspiration for Carol is like the work of um, like a lot of women photographers of the mm-hmm. era. That So the very early 50s before we're into the, you know, it's still there's so, still something a little like immediately post-war. Mm-hmm. The bling is not in full swing mm-hmm. of of the uh, consumerist era, you know, so right. so it's a little gra- grainy. Um, Like a little gritty, even though Carol is very well dressed, but like the other characters aren't necessarily. Um, Mm -hmm. And it's a world where people, they dress nicely, you know, and they're well turned out, but everything is still got a little bit of like, I don't know, like worn tweed about it. You Mm -hmm. know, it's not, it's it's just not glossy. That yeah, is definitely true. But even that has a quality of just like, oh, oh sumptuous. <laughs> yes. yes, very much. Very yeah. Much. Yes. So I don't know. Those things sound perfect. like a gem. Yeah, that's a perfect. That's a perfect summary. Thank you. Yes. You're we welcome. We'll have to return. In <laughs> Maybe for Christmas. Yes. Merry Christmas. Well, it's so oh, hard to wrap up Todd Haynes. I think we've said them. I think it really you have to go to his movies because he's one of us. He's one of the, the, the auteurs who 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 gives away the same three facts that are cited over and over. So he went to Brown University where he studied semiotics. You know, he was born in L.A. His, I, I didn't even know. This is a couple of extra facts got thrown out that his 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 father was in the cosmetics business. I forget what he does. If he's an importer, exporter, I don't yeah, know. Yeah, yeah. And mother, a would-be actress. Yep. Um, so yeah, but again, the sparseness of the, of the, of the, uh, of the information, especially for someone who's been around as long as he has, it's remarkable. You look at interview after interview, piece after piece, and you'll see the same bits of information. Right. Out. So there's a little bit of a, of an, I'm not there perhaps going on with him because he seems so <laughs> open. He has the most fresh, open looking, nice guy face ever you'd think he would tell you anything so it's it's a very interesting a thousand (laughs) yeah and and like one last shout out if there are berkeley people listening marianne doan was todd haynes's teacher at brown (laughs) yeah and he was a very good student (laughs) that he was yes (laughs) did she is that what she said that was that the verdict Uh, yeah absolutely absolutely and they still keep in touch so yeah so he learned his film theory god damn it and he learned it from doan (laughs) 
yeah. And you could tell, I mean, this is definitely a man who's like, you know, very well educated in, yeah. in cinema and its theory. Mm-hmm. Um, but anyway, <laughs> good. Yeah, you, go see you your have a prof in common. I forgot. I yeah. forgot all about that. That's a beautiful thing. Word. <laughs> yeah. Well, I think we've done it. I think we've done Haynes. I think. Yeah. I feel satisfied now with that final fact. <laughs> yeah, go check out the Velvet Underground. Like, even if you don't think you like that or a Todd Haynes, you might. <laughs> yes, exactly. You yeah. Can. And, you know, we're going to just as, a, you know, a way of sort of segueing into sign off. Um, you know, we're, we're planning on moving into, you know, a couple of like genre oriented episodes where we talk about, you know, at least broad stroke, trying to fill you in on what's going on in melodrama, the musical, um, and film noir. And of course we'll, we'll be finding films, hopefully contemporary and all fairly contemporary in all cases, um, um, to, um, help us nail down the particular qualities of the genre melodrama. Um, being a very much, as we've, as we've already said, a Todd Haynes specialty is going to be the, the next one up. And we're going to, we're going to sort of, we, at least the plan right now, is to zero in on what looks to be like a very melodramatic handling of the Princess Diana um, yes. um, life story um, called Spencer. It's a, it's a sort of very much fictionalized biopic um, that I believe is, if it's not in theaters now, it's coming out you know, very shortly. So we're going to talk about that and um, a recent melodrama, which is all out melodrama called um, Portrait of a Lady on Fire, 2017. Um, they have a cinematographer in common, French cinematographer named Claire Maton. Yes. Um, yes. <laughs> Get excited. <laughs> so I think I think that will really help if we can have, you know, because melodrama is such a, a misunderstood um, form that I, I think that's it's good to tackle that one first and have Todd Haynes as, as someone who can help us segue over there. Okay. <laughs> and that is it for um, um, Todd Hayden's avant-garde with heart. Um, thank you, dear listeners. Of course, triple thanks to our subscribers who keep us in historically accurate fabric swatches. <laughs> That's good. <laughs> Dolores came up with that one. <laughs> Cheers. <laughs> yes. If you're not a subscriber, but you like what you hear, please consider signing up. Um, with Patreon for all the film suck content instead of the half that's just that's publicly available. You can follow News of the Podcast on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. And until next time, thanks for listening. Bye. Bye.